This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Hey, everybody. Glad you came to church today. The smell of brats and burgers is in the air. And uh, so we'll all hang out and uh, go eat all that good stuff afterwards, but um, we're going to eat even better stuff in here, and that's the truth, the food of the Word of God, amen? Amen. And so I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, you can write this title down, Grace-Based Parenting. Oh, no! I don't have kids. I don't want kids. My kids are gone. I'm a kid myself. Oh, no! What am I going to do? Don't check out on me. Don't check out on me. Listen, don't check out because... I believe that no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're a child yourself or whether you have uh, children who are adult children that are grown and gone or whether you are not wanting kids at all or whatever the case may be, I believe that this message is going to transcend all of that. It, It will be tailored to definitely help those of us that do have children in any season of life, but I believe no matter where you're at in life, no matter where you're at, that this message is going to help us to understand the perfect parent. And that is God. Help us to understand His heart for us and help us understand the Father's love for me and for you. So the Bible says this, as many as are led by God, they are the sons of God. I believe that today's message is going to help those of us with children, but again, don't check out if you don't have kids because I believe that this word is for everyone no matter what season of life that you're in. So would you mind bowing your head with me today as we go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you so much for everyone here who's come to worship you and to honor you. And as we have worshiped you and as we've honored you, God, let that worship continue in our hearts as we hear your truth, your word that you have intended for us this day. Help us to not just be hearers only, but help us to be doers of your word. So we can take this truth and we can apply it to our lives in a very real way. And it'll cause change in us and those around us. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you this question. Fear or faith? Are you parenting out of fear or faith? Are you approaching your relationships with fear or faith? Are you trusting God with your finances like Pastor Mike talked about last week? Or are you afraid because of what you hear in the news? And so because you're afraid, you make decisions that are based on your fear. A lot of us are very fear-driven people. Matter of fact, you can look at the cover of any newspaper or magazine, and a lot of times the headline is something that would want to provoke fear, something that would want to get us worried. You see the cover of Time magazine, and it will say something like this, that 9 out of 10 children are going to have this type of problem or this type of issue because of what's going on. And we all go, oh, no. Or we'll read the headline and we'll see something that would want to grip our hearts with fear about some statistic that we read about, about how there's this big disconnect and there's all these things that would want to stir up fear within us. And so therefore we think, oh, we've got to fix this. We've got to do something about this because I'm afraid because of what has already happened. And we become very reactive beings who react to everything that would want to scream at us, that would want to try to provoke fear in us, and we go and we try to fix it immediately because we're afraid. 
And we're moving out of fear. A lot of us, our relationships are all based off of fear. Fear of being alone. Fear of someone leaving. Fear of abandonment. Fear of someone not liking me. Fear of approval. We'll approach our jobs that way. We're afraid of not performing correctly. We're afraid of not being good enough by someone else's standards. And therefore, we are living our lives based off of fear instead of faith. And what is faith? The Bible says this in Hebrews 11, that faith is now the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that aren't seen. Faith is that thing that causes you and I to have to trust in God, even though we may not see the manifestation of what we're trusting Him for right at this very moment. How many of us believe that we're saved? We believe that Jesus Christ has come and made us new and we're going to heaven when we die. And we believe that by faith. We're not in heaven right now. Matter of fact, when the air conditioner doesn't work, it feels the exact opposite. (laughs) We may not feel like we're in heaven, but let me tell you something. We have faith that we will be there. We trust in Jesus. We trust in Him being our hope. And you see, the difference between being a person who parents out of fear and a parent who parents their children out of faith is that they see themselves differently. They see themselves as an investor. They see themselves as someone who is investing in something that's going to pay dividends later down the road. But a lot of times, parents don't look at themselves as investors. When they parent out of fear, they look at themselves as controllers. And so are you a controller or are you an investor? Are you controlling or are you investing? Because that's the thing that you and I have to realize. These two different mindsets of parents in our culture nowadays is that there's these two different frameworks of I'm going to control everything that happens based off of what someone else does. It's all about my reaction. It's very reactive. Proactive parenting, proactive living is understanding I'm an investor. I'm going to invest the right things that I know that I'm supposed to invest and I know that it's going to pay dividends. How do I know that? Because I have faith. You see, faith is the thing that changes everything. Look at your Bibles in the book of Proverbs in the 22nd chapter. Now, this is probably the most frequently used scripture in any parenting teaching that has ever been done that's biblically based. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And we read that scripture, and we see that, and we go, okay, well, that's nice. But then we try to train up our children in the way that we believe they should go, and then they do stupid stuff. And we go, wait a minute. The Bible didn't say, train up a child in the way they should go, and they'll never make mistakes. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible didn't say, train up a child in the way they should go, and they'll never do something that makes you angry. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. They won't depart. In other words, I understand I'm investing in something that I can't control. (laughs) I'm investing in something that I cannot control. I'm not a controller because controllers parent out of fear. When you parent out of faith, when you are a grace-based parent, you understand you do so out of faith because you realize you can't change that child. You can't change their heart. Only Jesus can. You see, the Bible here is talking about faithfulness, talking about training, talking about equipping. And and then in Galatians 6 and 9, the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. So when you're doing something, when you're investing, don't get weary. There will be seasons when you will be very tempted to get very weary in well-doing. Have you guys seen that video of the kids on YouTube? It's got like 9 million hits. 
the one where they take the sack of flour and they pour it all over everything in the house and they play in it. If you haven't, type in flower mom, like F-L-O-U-R, flower, like, and she walks in and she just freaks out because flowers everywhere. Nobody taught those kids to do that. <laughs> Nobody taught them that. There was not a school of how to pour flour all over. They just look flower fun. You know, nobody has to teach a child how to lie. There's no lie, lying 101. They pick up on this stuff. They, 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 this is part of this fallen nature that you and I have. That's why we need Jesus. Because we can't fix fallen nature with our rules. We can't change a heart with our rules. Just like we see in Scripture how the Pharisees tried to control people through the law. It's the same thing that happens today in church. We try to control people through the law, but the law can't save you. The law can show you your sin and can point you to Christ, but only Christ can save you, not the rules. Because the rules can't change your heart. You see, so many times we're hooked on this desire to, to, to have behavior modification. And that's what we look towards. And so we take a little bit of gospel, we take a little bit of truth, and we put it in a bowl... And then we take a little bit of man's ideas and man's philosophies and we put it in a bowl and we mix it all up together and we go, ah, gospel jambalaya. But when we eat gospel jambalaya, you get the runs. Because it's not going to be good for you. Because Christ is enough. Because his word is enough. Because the truth is enough. Not God plus another guy. But that's how we look at it a lot of times. We look at it as, oh, okay, well, we'll take a little bit of Jesus. We'll take a little bit of my idea, and we'll mix it all together, and we'll see what happens. Because we're pretty smart. And when we look at ourselves as the answer, we're trying to control. We're trying to control the person. We're trying to control the situation. We're trying to control the child. And we'll do so in very foolish ways. A lot of us will attempt to control through anger. Don't make me mad, or I'm going to turn into the Hulk. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and nine sixteenths. Even though I know, I know, all you guys are out there doing that. I know it's smaller, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to buy you a tape measure, Pastor Derek. Listen, we keep counting, counting, 2.5, 2.6. How, how further are we going to go? You know, here's the thing. We're, we're trying to control this person, and you don't want to make me angry. My wife and I were in the Dells this past weekend. That's why we weren't here last week. We were celebrating our 12th anniversary. So uh, we've been married for 12 years now. And uh, thank you. And we had a great time in the Dells, but we were standing in line for something, and there was a lady that had about a six-year-old boy, I would imagine he was, and she was dropping the F-bomb on this kid. She was like, you blankety blank, blank, blank. And she said, when we get home, I'm going to whoop your blank, blank. I mean, she was just tearing him up and down. And you want to know why she was doing that? Because she was showing everyone she's out of control, but she's trying to regain control. And she was trying to regain control probably the same way her parents tried to regain control of her. And she was just reiterating the habits and the things that she saw from her parents who probably didn't have control in the first place. And so here's this child who's getting cussed at who's this little six-year-old boy, and he's growing up hearing how sorry he is. He's growing up hearing how stupid he is and all of the names that he is from the very person who's supposed to be loving him the most. The person who's supposed to be loving him unconditionally. 
Because God loves you and I unconditionally. His love is not conditional love that's based off of our performance, but sometimes we will love our children on a performance basis. Oh, you did good, so now you get more of my attention because you did good, but you get my wrath and my anger and my fury when you do bad. And our children are learning, and the, their, their worldview of how God is being shaped and formed is coming from you because you're the first authority figure in their lives. And they look at you and they go, oh, well, this must be how God is. God is upset with me. He's angry with me, so therefore he doesn't love me. He doesn't want to know me. He doesn't want to spend time with me. He doesn't care about me other than rules and regulations and law. And when we give that to our children, people get that same idea about God. They get the same idea about church. Did you know that a preschooler hears the word no 400 times a day? An average of 400 times a day, a preschooler hears the word no. And we get this mentality of this is how God must be. And so when we go to God, we think he's a performance-based God. Because we've been told we get love and approval and acceptance. And we get all the things that we're empty and searching for when we do everything right. So we look at God as someone that we always have to do everything right for. Otherwise, we're getting kicked out of the club. And that's not gospel. That's not the truth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said it's not based off your performance. Actually, the law was given to point you to Jesus and show you, listen, you need him because it reveals your sin. The law shows us what right and wrong is. The law shows us that we're guilty with our sin. And it says you need a savior, and your savior is not the law. Because you can try to change all the behaviors in the world, but until you get to the heart, until you get to the core you're just dealing with external circumstances of a fallen nature. Mm. Here's the thing. We want to control behavior, but that's the same thing the Pharisees tried to do back in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. The Pharisees wanted to control behavior. And so they didn't understand that the law was not given to control people. The law was given to reveal sin and point us to our need for a Savior. And they didn't understand that, so they tried to control behavior of people by taking the law and forcing people to conform to the law. But here's the thing, only Jesus can save, not the law. Only Jesus can save, not the law. Let me show you this in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Galatians 3 and verse 19. I'm going to go there really quick, so you've got to be quick. Galatians 3. And verse 19 says this, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, talking about Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? The Bible says certainly not. The law is not against the promises of God. For if there had been a law given which could have given life truly righteousness could have come by the law but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe but before faith came we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that was the purpose of the law. It was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified, not by the law, not by our works, but by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. You see, the law was given to point us to Christ, was given to show us our need for a Savior. He said this was the purpose of it. 
given to reveal that we have a fallen nature, the laws, the rules, because that's what people look at God as. They just look at church and God as just a long laundry list of rules. That we go, oh, well, I can't ever be good enough for those church people. Can't ever be good enough for God. It's not about you being good enough. Jesus was already good enough by fulfilling every part of the law in perfection. And he died on the cross and your faith in him that that was good enough to save us and make us right with God is what makes us righteous, not your works. It's not your good deeds that makes you right with God. It's faith in Christ alone. But many parents only use law in their homes. Many times we only use law in our homes and the relationship parents have with their children is solely based on thou shalt not. And that's all that we do in our homes. It's thou shalt not and good performance. And if a child grows up believing your love and approval is solely based on their performance, then they will either strive to please you or they will grow up resenting you. It's the exact same thing we do with God. If we think that, our, that God's love and acceptance for us is solely based on our performance, then we will either strive to try to earn that or we will resent Him because of it. It's the same thing people do with God. Understand something about the law. It is not relationship. The law is not relationship. Too many parents rely on only the law to bring about perfect children, to be perfect adults, and make them turn out good, or at least get them to heaven. If I can make them behave well enough and act good enough, then that'll get them to heaven. No, it won't. Your child could be a perfect little angel that says, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and that uses their manners, and that's always kind, and that always does everything right, and still be fallen and not know Christ. We have to understand something. Sometimes, sometimes we think that the answer lies in someone else. We think that if we could just get our kids into a Christian school, because I feel inadequate, because I'm not a proper investor, I feel like someone else could do it, or if I could just get them some church. You need some good church in, Johnny boy. You need some good church. We need to take you to church. That'll fix you up. No, it won't. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will. That's it. Now, is church bad? No. Is Christian school bad? No. But listen to me. It's not the answer. It's not the answer. The answer is Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Because when we try to control someone... We try to get them to conform. And that's what control does. It tries to get us to conform to the law. But here's the thing that you and I need to catch, and we need to get this, that conformity does not equal conversion. Conformity does not equal change. Just because someone conforms doesn't mean they have changed. You may have that one kid that conforms and is a perfect angel, and then you have the other one that doesn't. So we try to get the other one to conform. The problem isn't that your child won't conform. Because here's the problem, behavior modification won't change the heart. It won't. We go backwards with this deal. You see, does, does God not want our behavior to change? Of course God wants our behavior to change. But he doesn't try to change the behavior first. He changes the heart first. And out of the changed heart comes the changed behavior. But the heart has to change first because the heart's the part that's at enmity with God. Because of sin. We don't have to teach kids to sin. We don't have to have a sin 101 class. They figure it out on their own. They figure out sin all by themselves. We didn't have to have a class on how to sin. We didn't have, have to have a class on how to not sin. We figured it out. And so that's not the problem of trying to get our child not to sin. 
The thing is, is teaching and training and investing in our child by not just giving them structure and law and rules, which we need to have in our home. If you don't have rules in your home, you're a fool. If you don't have some form of, of, of rules or, or, or things with consequences in your home, you're a fool. You have to have those things, and it's good to have those things. Just like you and I, we, we still need the law in our lives to show us Jesus. We had to have it, otherwise we wouldn't know Him. We had to see our sin. We had to see how much we needed Him and how no matter how good we tried to be, that it wasn't good enough to be right with God, that it had to be through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not that we throw all this out the door. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill this thing. He said, I came to show you this thing. He said, now I came to do something that you couldn't do because this is what you broke this, you broke that. And by law... You're not righteous. You're dirty. You are scarred. You have done all of these things, and by your own decisions, you have chosen death through sin. But if you choose me, you'll have life because I have fulfilled this thing. I've done what you couldn't do. And it shows us Christ. It shows us our need for Christ. It shows us that we never stop needing Him. You know, folks, no matter how good you get, you never stop needing Jesus. No matter how much you get life figured out and how nice you become, how friendly you are. Oh boy, that person just bullied you. They're so friendly. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Thank you. No matter how kind you are, no matter how moral you are, no matter how ethical you are, you never stop needing Jesus. You never stop needing Him because apart from Christ, we're nothing. We're dead men inside, apart from Christ. Living for our own selfish ambition, living for our own selfish means. So just because we get someone to conform, just because we get somebody to act right, doesn't mean that there has been a heart change. I want you to understand this, that the law is good, but the gospel is better. The gospel is better. Law helps us understand sin, helps us understand right and wrong, but it cannot change our hearts. Only Jesus can. We need to have rules in our home. We need to have things in our home that have consequences. Absolutely, we need to have those things, but we need the gospel in our home more. The law points to Jesus because he's the fulfillment of that. He's the fulfillment of that perfection. And we all need a new nature. So let me submit this to you this morning. To introduce your kids to Jesus through your life, through your words, through your actions. Amen? To introduce Jesus to them by showing them how great the message of the gospel, which is Christ crucified in our place, what we deserved, he took on himself so that we didn't have to. And now we've been made right with God through Jesus because of what he did, not because of what we've done, but because of him. And it's through our faith in him that we are now adopted sons and daughters to the family of God. That's the gospel. That's the message of hope. That's the message of Christ because there's no hope in and of ourselves. You just can't give law because the law is good. It teaches us good morals, teaches us good ethics, but the gospel is what changes the heart. And that's what we need to give our children. That's what we need to show them. We need to show them grace. We need to show them love. We need to show them acceptance no matter if they do something that upsets us or not. It's all in, are we investing in them for the future? Are we investing in faith? Are we showing them Christ? Are we showing them how He's impacted our lives? Are we showing them what He's done in us? 
Or are we just simply trying to control? Because here's the thing, the only way to please God is by putting our faith in Him. Amen, somebody? That's what the Bible says. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God. So we need to teach. We need to train. We need to be an example. That's our job. But we also need to realize that it's God's job to save, not ours. So we have to invest and trust. We have to invest and we have to trust. Now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden that, 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 that we just say, okay, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to provide any structure in my home at all. No, you need to have structure in your home. There needs to be consequences in your home. And listen to me. When your child makes a mistake or does something, don't immediately run to the rescue to bail them out. Because a lot of times parents want to run to the rescue of their children when they make mistakes to bail them out. Not because they want to bail the kid out, but because it looks bad on me as a parent. I don't want them to think bad about me, so I'm going to go fix all of this. No, sometimes our children, they need to go through the consequence of their decisions. Because even though we live under grace, we still bear the consequence of our decisions. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <Woo. laughs> if you make a bad choice, if, if your child goes to the principal's office, let them go. Whatever they chose, don't get up there and try to justify your child. What happened? What went on? Your child may have made a mistake and they need to bear the consequences of that and they also need to bear the consequences of them going to the principal's office when they get home. Right? That doesn't mean you love them any less. Doesn't mean that you don't approve of them as your child anymore. You didn't approve of the behavior, but they're still your kid. You still love them for who they are, not for what they've done. That's parenting by grace. That's looking at them as this person that you've been given charge and responsibility to invest in and loving them right where they're at. Not, you're so stupid for doing this. You shouldn't have done that. I can't believe you. I can't believe this. And us putting them down and trying to control them. You just need some churching. I'll tell you what, I'm going to make you go in that closet and you're going to read the whole Bible and you're not going to come out until you do. <laughs> is that really going to help them? Is that really going to help them? Or is it going to be a better thing for you to show them the grace of God? You show them discipline and correction because let me tell you something. Just because I live under grace doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't correct my heart. Hello, somebody. Sometimes I'll have something in my life and the Holy Spirit will come right along and go, you know, I'm seeing some pride there and I go, boom. Does that mean that God doesn't love me anymore, that He doesn't accept me anymore, that all of a sudden I've become a bulk rate Christian, I'm second class? No, doesn't mean that at all means he's revealing things in my heart and he's showing me things that maybe I've had idol worship in my life or whatever the case may be. And I have to deal with whatever the consequences are of my decisions and my actions. But that doesn't mean that God loves me any less. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Jesus told this story and he was painting a perfect picture of the parent God for his children. There was a man, a very wealthy man, had two sons. And the younger son came to the father and said, I want what's owed me in my inheritance that you're going to give me, and I want it now. And the dad's like, okay, I'll give it to you. Because you could actually give an inheritance to someone before you passed away if that child came and they wanted it. But it was very insulting to the family because it was the equivalent of that child saying to the father, you're dead to me. You're as good as dead to me because I just want your stuff. I just want what you got. 
just give it to me. I am tired of you. I don't want any part of life with you, but I want your stuff. And so he took the stuff, and the Bible says he wasted it away on prodigal living. He went and slept around, partied, did whatever he wanted to do, spent all this money. probably had a bunch of friends because when you got money, you'll have friends. And then all of a sudden, he lost all the friends. Why? Because he lost all the money. All gone, wasted away, doing whatever he wanted to. His father probably gave him some land, and apparently he sold that. He, it's gone. It's not there anymore. It's not his anymore. Belongs to somebody else. He wasted it away. He made a bad decision. And he finds himself starving, hungry. And so still in his own efforts to make himself right, in his own efforts to be self-sufficient, he goes and he joins himself to someone who's a pig farmer, and he tries to take care of these pigs. And the Bible says he was longing for the slop that the pigs ate. That's how hungry he was. And then the Bible says he came to himself. In other words, he was broken. He was broken to the point where he realized, you know what, this isn't right. Even my father's servants are treated better than this. Maybe, maybe I can go home and maybe my dad will hire me as one of his servants and maybe I can repay him for all of the money that I wasted. Maybe I can do that and then maybe he'll accept me again. Maybe he'll love me again. And that's what we do with God. Oh God, I've really screwed my life up. I've really made a lot of bad choices, a lot of bad mistakes. Maybe when I come to Christ, now I can earn back and repay you for all of the bad things that I've done. And this is this guy's mentality. Maybe I can go repay for all the waste that I, wasteful living that I've done. And so he gets up and starts journeying back to his father's house and he begins to recite something to himself. He begins to say, okay, I'm going to tell dad when I see him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me as a servant. I know I've messed it up. Okay, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's got himself convinced he's no longer worthy to be called a son. Thinks he's blown it. Thinks it's over. And the Bible says this, as a picture of God, that the father sees his son while he's still a great ways off. And he actually did something that's very unconventional. You see, in those days, they wore robes in that culture and in that time. And the Bible says he ran. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried to run in a robe before. But to run in a robe, you would have to pick it up a little bit to get some movement going. He sees the son a great ways off, so he grabs his robe and pulls it up. You don't understand what that means because that was a big cultural no-no for someone who is as dignified as this man. You don't pick up your, your robe. You don't do that. You stand there and you wait or you walk gracefully and you hold yourself because of who you are and the position that you have. You're not going to hike up your dress and run. No, you come here, you stupid kid, making all those dumb mistakes. I told you so. That's a lot of times how we parent. I told you so. Yeah, we'll see who's right. The dad wasn't worried about being right, was he? Dad wasn't worried about anything else other than reconnecting with his son. So the Bible says that he picked up his robe. The Bible says that he ran towards him. And when he ran towards him, when he got to him, he didn't go, bam! The Bible says he ran towards him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And he says, go and get the family signet ring, the royal ring. Let's put this on his finger. Go and take the robe. Get, get, get him a robe. Let's put some clothes on this boy. Let's put a robe around this guy. Let's get him a bath. He's been hanging out with pigs. He said, no, let's put a robe on him. Let's put a ring on his finger. And the dad said, go kill the fatted calf. 
Let's go have a celebration because my son, who I thought was dead, who we all thought was dead, he's alive. He's here. The dad was not worried about all of the mistakes. He didn't say, okay, now you're less of my son. No, no, no. He said, come back home. I want you just as you are. I want to love you, protect you, cover you. I want to bring you right back into my family. In other words, the father was telling him, you never stopped being my son. The son wanted to start in on the little thing he had been reciting, and the dad cut him off. One of the coolest verses in Scripture. Where he says, I know that I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy because your son. He said, go kill the fatted calf. Not interested in what you have to say about that. I'm not interested in all the wrong that you've done. I know you've done wrong. I can see you've done wrong. You are reaping the consequences of that you've done wrong. But you're still my kid. And now you're home. And that is such a perfect picture of the heart of God for you and I. So we need to bring our children up in faith by trusting in God. By trusting in His Word. That we, as investors, never stop accepting our kids right where they're at in life as our kids doesn't mean that we don't provide structure. doesn't mean that we don't, that we don't correct them. <coughs> doesn't mean that, 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 that they get a free pass on everything in life. But it means that they never have to earn our love. That they never have to earn our love. Because let me tell you something. There are so many wounded Christians who still have the mentality of God's love is something I've got to earn. God's love is something I've got to be good enough for. And there's a lot of wounded kids that think mom and dad's love is something I have to earn, something I have to be good enough for. No, you get my love because you're my son, because you're my daughter. I've got three kids. I've got an eight-year-old son, and I've got twin six-year-old girls. And right now, we're into My Little Ponies and wrestling. And that's what we like to do. And I have relationship with my kids. And I can tell you anything you need to know about My Little Ponies. <laughs> and I can tell you anything you want to know about wrestling. Why? Because I'm interested in what my kids are interested in. You see, if my relationship with my kids only go as far as my rules and my law, then I don't have a relationship. Because law is not relationship. I have to have a relationship. I care about them right where they're at. And I want them to feel secure in that. You know, there is really no greater gift, mom and dad, that we can give our kids than to help make them feel secure. Help make them feel secure in what? In the fact that they're in a place where they're loved and that they matter. You know, there's no greater thing, I think, that we can receive from God is learning that we're secure in our love with Him right where we're at. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're dealing with, that doesn't mean that He doesn't want you free from those things, because He does. He wants you to be free from whatever junk may be holding you back, holding you down. But it doesn't change His love for you because that's the heart of the Father. You see, bring your children up in faith by you trusting in God and His Word, not fear. Fear wants you to try to control. Fear wants you to try to react out of that fear by trying to control them with anger, with manipulation, with frustration. And if your kids grow up understanding that that's how I win my parents' love, 
then they're going to look at God the exact same way. You see, we need to recognize that it's God's job to change the heart, not ours. But you and I can point them to Him. Amen? We can't make the decision for our children to receive Jesus Christ. Oh, we want to. We want to so bad. It's not important that we try to make the decision for them as much as it is that we give them a reason to choose Jesus. Mom and Dad, let's give our kids a reason to choose Jesus through what He's done in our hearts by sharing that, by talking to them about that. Here's the thing. Do they see you trusting God? Do they see you trusting God with them? Make sure that there is structure in your home, but make sure there's more gospel. Make sure there's more grace. Pointing them to Jesus because they see how He is impacting your life. Jesus becomes very attractive to others when they see Him properly worshipped in our lives. When they see that He really has changed us. When they see the fruits of our relationship. Then all of a sudden, that becomes very attractive. The fruit of relationship. The fruit of understanding grace through faith. And the freedom that Jesus brings. The other night, last night, I had a conversation with my kids. And my, Holly, my wife, she was already in bed, and we got home a little later. Me and Holly took separate vehicles, so she left me with the kids. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> and here I am at church last night, and she said, you got the kids, by the way. I'm going home. Okay. We had a conversation about that. But anyways, I said, <laughs> I said, come on. Don't leave me with the kids. But anyways, they were good. Everything was fine. But we got home later because I had to stay and talk to a couple, and we had a good chat. And uh, so I get my kids later, home later than I should have. And my kids are sitting, telling me they're hungry. My wife's already in bed. So I said, okay, let's have corn dogs and chips. Not the best decision to have that late at night, but that's what I had and what I could make really quick. I'm awesome at microwaving corn dogs. <laughs> and so I made corn dogs and, and I got some chips out and we all sat around the table. And I began to think at that time, here I'm sitting with my kids, and I begin to think about the message I had preached, which is the message I'm preaching right now. I just preached it that night, and I began to think about how am I showing my kids Jesus. And so as they were all sitting down there, I said, hey, I said, um, what, what does Jesus mean to you guys? What do you guys think about Jesus? And they began to tell me what they thought. I said, well, why, why do we need Jesus? Why does Daddy need Jesus? Why do you need Jesus in our lives? And then they begin to answer, and some of their answers are like crazy stuff, and I'm like, oh, Lord. You know how kids do? Some things they just don't understand, they don't grasp. But here I am talking, and I said, well, here's the deal, guys. I said, do you know that Daddy needs Jesus? Because without Jesus, that I don't have any hope? That I can't go to heaven without Christ in my life? Do you know that Jesus put a good heart in Daddy and made Daddy right with God because of me trusting in Jesus. And I began to say those things in ways that they could understand. And we began to talk about God. And they began to ask me questions about sin. You mean, Daddy, you sinned? Yeah, I'm like, yes. The Bible says everybody sinned. Everybody's blown it. But that doesn't mean God loves us any less. You know, God still loves us. You know, God loves us because of Jesus. Because God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And I began to have this conversation with my kids. And my kids are sitting there talking to me. We're talking about the gospel right there at the table, eating corn dogs and chips. And I thought, this is stinking awesome. This is awesome because here we are talking about the gospel. And now I can't make the decision for them. But I can point them towards him. 
We can talk about Him. I can show them how He's changed my life. Because guess what? There's not a special seat in heaven for pastor's kids. Just because they're the kid of a pastor doesn't mean that they automatically are shoe-in. And it doesn't mean they're bad either. Oh, pastor's kids. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean kids are bad. No. A lot of times, pastor's kids do rebellious things because they feel such pressure to conform. So I want to make sure that me, as a parent, am not trying to make my kids conform into something that would embarrass me as the pastor because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about me pointing my kids towards Jesus. And it's about me showing my kids why Jesus is so great and why he's enough. It's not Jesus plus another guy. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus something else. Not Jesus plus man's philosophy or man's idea. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. That's it. Christ is enough. It's not Christ plus this philosophy. It's not Christ plus Dr. Phil. It's just Christ. Christ is enough. He's the one that makes us whole. I'm not, I'm not, it's not like all of a sudden I start when I come to Christ. No, it's I start and I finish. I'm complete in Him. He's enough. He's everything. There is nothing else to gain in life besides Christ. Everything else is nothing except for Jesus. You could gain the whole world, and it would mean nothing without Christ. So Paul says, I don't even, he said, listen, Paul said, I, I, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I, 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 if, if anybody was a good Jew, it was me. I did everything. I, I, was, I was so passionate about the law. I know everything about it. He said, but listen, everything I, I, I've taught, everything that I've thought I knew and thought I understood of trying to be right, of trying to be good, I count all of that as nothing I claim to know nothing except Christ crucified. Paul said, that's all I know. That's all I know. That's the only message I got. That's it. Christ and himself crucified because Christ is enough. And we need to teach our kids that Christ is enough. We need to show them Christ is enough in our lives. Amen? Amen. And then guess what? When our heart changes, then we begin to see the fruits of a, of a changed heart. So mom and dad, for us to be grace-based parents, we need to point our kids to Jesus. We need to show them why he's so great. We need to talk to them about why he's so great. We need to train them. We need to teach them. We need to invest in them by faith. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's what the Bible says. Amen? I hope that this is something that you, you, you've been able to really get something out of whether you have kids or not because I know that I have. Um, this is the fourth time I've heard this message. Once in preparation and then three times after teaching it. And it hits me between the eyes just as a dad and I begin to think, okay, Lord, help us to understand what this means. Help us to understand that there's a lot of gospel that needs to be in our home. Sure, we need structure. Sure, we need those things in our lives. But only Jesus can change the heart. You see, I, I'm, I tried to put all of this in one sermon. I couldn't do it because I want to talk to you about some more practical applications of, of parenting by grace and have grace-based parenting. And so I had to split this thing up. I, this is part one. I'm going to have to do part two next week. And it's going to be a little bit more practical where I'm going to break down those things for real life. Um, but again, don't go, oh, that means I can stay home. Free pass. I don't have kids. 
Listen, that's, that's not what I mean because I believe, again, it will be practical and applicable to you no matter what stage of life you're in. Even if you don't ever want to have kids, I believe that this is still something that we can all grow in and understand because understanding and growing in grace is needed for all of us. Amen? I, I don't come up here and claim to be some type of parental expert because I'm not. And that's not what I'm trying to say. I, matter of fact, I don't really even understand what it means to parent teenagers because I have little guys. I don't understand what it means to be the parent of an adult child. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand that. So I can't connect with you on that level to tell you my experiences in those things. I was a youth pastor for seven years, and I understand a lot about teenagers and how goofy and smelly they are, but I don't, I, I, I've, never, I've never parented a teenager. So I, don't, I, don't, I can't help you with, with the parenting aspect of it from a personal standpoint. So I don't, I don't know those things because I haven't experienced those things, but I'll tell you what I do know and what I do understand and what I have experienced, and that's the grace of God. And that's enough. That'll help carry me through. Because just as much as our kids need grace and our love for them, we need grace as well. We never stop needing Jesus. We never stop needing the gospel. That's the only thing that has the power to save. Not being good. Not being nice. Not changing out your cardigan and your little slip-on shoes and singing it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's not what changes us. That's not the goal is to be like Mr. Rogers. The goal is not to be good and nice. The goal is to be complete in Christ. And that only comes through faith in Him. You know, when, when Jesus said that He made all things new, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Hold all things have become new. You know he really meant all things. He meant that who you were, dead and gone. You're now alive in Christ because of your faith in him. Because your faith and your trust in him. And that, folks, is us investing. That's us trusting. That's us believing in the word. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm investing the word in you teaching you the word helping you to understand it in a way that makes sense because God wants the Bible to make sense to you he doesn't want it to be some veiled spooky thing that you don't ever get and go oh that was a waste of time and weird he wants you to understand his word because he wants you to understand him and so today I'm investing his truth in you and I pray that you've seen a glimpse of his grace and that you're able to translate that into your relationships you're able to translate that into your marriage and as our focus today was parenting, I pray that you're able to translate that to parenting your children. Do you understand the need for structure, but the need for heart change is greater. And the only way there's going to be heart change is if we point people to Jesus. And that's all we can do is invest and trust God. So don't stop praying. Don't stop investing. Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way they'll go. And when they're old, they won't depart. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC dot com.